Our Heavenly Father, we seem and are often unaware of our wrongdoing. We actively choose live in ways that are against what you would have for us. Thank you that you have forgiven us in Jesus Christ. We humbly come before you, grateful for your mercy. We're comforted by the promise you have made to us that you will always forgive our sins when we confess to you. Hear our confession of sin and declare us clean as you have so many times before. Thank you for your commitment to us into our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord who was, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is from Jonah 4. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious God and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Jonah often gets a... A bad reputation as uh, kind of a, a an anti prophet. And if you read if you read the book of Jonah, it'd probably take you twenty to thirty minutes, maybe if you're reading slowly. 
is that we see that he fluctuates in his obedience, in his perspective, in his desires. But the, it, he says very clearly in chapter 2, verse 8, and I think this is the main message of the story, is that those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that would be theirs. Those who cling or those who grasp worthless idols, and it doesn't have to be a statue, it doesn't have to be some religious thing. It could be any object, any anything that is that is easily held on to or desired. Is that when we hold on and squeeze those those things, those desires or maybe material possessions, we forfeit or we lose the grace that would be ours. So in Jonah 4, he starts out, it says he's, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. And if you know, the, this, is, this is talking about chapter 3, when God sent him after he had run away from God, he, he saved Jonah, he brought trouble into his life to make his perspective change. And then he said, yes, I will go to Nineveh and preach your message, God. But he was upset that God forgave these people because they were his, they're his, his enemies. The Ninevites were associated with the kingdoms that had brought the Israelites into exile. They're sworn enemies. But it says Jonah was greatly displeased. We could say that he was either displeased with Nineveh, that they repented and that God showed them mercy, or we could say that maybe that Jonah was upset with God because of the result. You see, Jonah wanted revenge on his enemies. He did not want the Ninevites to receive grace from God. Now, this is that's the context of, of this passage. But what are you displeased about? What are you displeased about maybe in relation to what God or what you think God is doing? Or maybe what are you displeased about in the world that you had other expectations for that aren't being met? Because I think for me, it's easy for me to look at God and, and me try to figure out in my mind what God is doing and then assess that whether I like that or not. And if you're like me, uh, this, this passage is, is a wonderful example of that. Are you displeased? How do you know if you're displeased? Well, you may be like, no, I'm, I'm doing fine right now. Okay, how do we know? We can, we can question our conversations with people. Typically, <laughs> it's conversations with people that we love that reveal uh, our true hearts whether we're bitter, whether we're short, whether we're impatient, whether we're angry, whether we're envious. Our relationships and the conversations that we have with those who love us especially reveal where we are in our hearts. I encourage you just to think about that right now. Just think about your relationships and your conversations with people. What you talk about. Is it negative? Is it positive? Are you... Are you complaining? All of these things reveal where we are because we may be like Jonah and think, man, this is very wrong and I'm angry. And we'll see how that plays out. Even in Jonah's prayers, so he has, he has had 
he had conversations with the sailors in 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 chapter one, chapter two. He uh, it reveals that he he's running from God. But we can also tell from verse two that Jonah is upset with God as well, because he blames God. He blames God not for bad things. He blames God for his goodness. He said, I, I knew this. This is why I ran away when you told me to go to Nineveh to tell them about repenting and turning from their sin is because I knew that you would forgive them, God. Which means Jonah's desires overpowered his idols, which he was holding on to, which I think it was revenge. He was hoping that Nineveh would be judged and destroyed. In holding on to that idol, idol, he forfeited the own his own grace in his life, or at least the experience of it. And he explains it away. He explains away and justifies his actions, his mindset, his negative behavior, being a false prophet, really, an anti-prophet, running away from what God had told him to do. And yet he still demands his way. And one of the things that, that one of the other things that's probably the most important, uh, equally to this idea of, of holding on to idols and forfeiting grace, is that he has intolerance unto death. All throughout the text, he says, I'm so angry I could die. I'm so frustrated I want to die. He is willing to He's so unwilling to do something that God has for him that he's willing to die to avoid doing it. And God asked the question, and I think he's asking us through the story as well. He's asking Jonah, do you have any right to be angry, Jonah? Am I asking you to do something that is beyond your power? All you have to do is go to Nineveh and tell them what I'm going to tell you. Do you have any right? And, you know, if we read the story, I don't think Jonah has much of a right to be angry because not really much has been asked of him. But what about you and me? Do we have a right to be angry with God? I think the answer is no, because one way that I can tell that, that being angry in God is inappropriate is that we usually blame God when things are going bad. When things are going bad, we typically ask the question, why, God, is this happening to me? But when things happen to be going good, I tend to think, I must have done something right. I must have had something to do with why this worked out. Very rarely do things go well, and I think, it was all God, right? In my right mind, that's what I say. But if I'm quick to make an assessment about it, I'm more likely to judge God for bad and to pat myself on the back when things go well. Do we have any right to be angry about what God is doing? And uh, I, I think as we ask this question that God asks us, it's really, really important not just to make it yes or no, black and white, because there's a lot of things that, that Christ was angry about. There's a lot of things. I think God is angry about the fact that all these people in Nineveh are against him. I think Jonah could be upset as well to think and be angry that, that this is the situation. But the question is, do you have any right to be angry with God? And the answer is no. But notice here, it says in verse 4, Jonah, he still waited for judgment. 
even though he knew what God wanted him to do, even though he went to Nineveh to teach and to tell them about God's mercy, he still wanted them to be judged. And so he does what some of us often do. He says, it said he made a shelter outside of the city to watch the destruction. I think what this is, is that he, he's separating himself from this problem that he perceives to be the issue. He makes this shelter for himself that separates him from the problems that he sees that he's angry about, and he waits. This is something that I think we do emotionally as well, is that we create these little cocoons that separate us from the problems that we see in the world. And like prophets and disciples of Christ who've been called to go into the world to speak into and to be a part of the world in terms of its function, but not in terms of its practice. We set up these shelters that protect us, that say, no, God, like Jonah, I'm not willing to go into Nineveh. I'm not willing. I like it in my shelter here. And in fact, I'm going to observe what's happening from this place of safety. But one of the important things as well throughout the story is God's provision for Jonah, even though Jonah seems to have no perspective. Even though he clings to his idols that he values, he's forfeiting the experience of the grace that God's giving him. Notice that the grace of God continues to go towards Jonah even when he rebels like the Ninevites. Jonah, of course, believes in God unlike the Ninevites in terms of the the God of the Hebrews. But Jonah is very disobedient. But God continues to provide for him. It says that he provided him shade. While he's watching and waiting for the destruction of the Ninevites, God provides this this little vine to grow up and, and to cover his head so he doesn't get so much sun. And I think this is a problem that some of us face too, is that we, like Jonah, when he's happy in the story about this this vine that's causing him to have relief from the sun, is that we look to God for relief from our problems. And sometimes those those that relief that God gives us is a sign of our true heart. Let me give you an example from us. Maybe you are experiencing something that that didn't occur last year or the entire you know, your entire life maybe in your career maybe in your relationships and and the past year has caused you to experience something that you never experienced before and it's difficult and you prayed to God and you got relief somehow that relief it doesn't teach us it doesn't teach us because it doesn't allow us to experience what maybe God wants us to experience. And so we see that God brings this vine and and Jonah sees it as a blessing and it is a blessing, but he takes it away by providing this worm. This worm eats the vine, kills the vine, and then the shade is the the relief that, that Jonah had experienced is removed. And he repeats his famous line, it would be better for me to die. He would rather die than experience this difficulty. See, so now not only do we have obedience 
that is, uh, or a lack of obedience that's Jonah's idol that causes him to say, no, I don't want to go to Nineveh. But now he has another idol. He has relief. He has, he has the blessings from God that he's holding on as an idol instead of the act of experiencing God's grace and passing that grace onto other people. So again, whenever the idols present themselves that he's holding, him, he's holding on to, forfeiting grace for himself and for the, his enemies, God asks him the same question. Do you have any right to be angry about the plant? You shouldn't be angry, Jonah, because I'm, I choose to be gracious to the Ninevites, and you shouldn't be angry that when I bless you, I have the right to take it away when I think it's appropriate. Why was it appropriate? Because... It showed Jonah's control, his desire for control, his desire for relief when he felt that he was being wronged. It reveals something else about about Jonah, that he wasn't grateful. Instead of saying, hey, this temporary thing that showed up that caused me to have relief, it's it's probably not going to last. And even if it doesn't last, I'm still going to be grateful for for the time that I had. A very scary truth for the Christian and for the believer is that God is not responsible for our emotions. Think about that. The reason why he sent the worm is because he wanted to teach Jonah patience. He wanted to teach Jonah gratitude. And yet, so many times... In our frustration, in our emotions, we respond to God in a way that's inappropriate because we think that God is responsible for our emotions, but we are. We're responsible for how we react to the situation. God asks us, do you have the right to be angry with me? I'm not responsible for what for the sin in the world. You are. We are. What's the correct response in this story? It's the Ninevites. It's the exact opposite. This entire story has flip-flops where one side of the coin appears to be correct, but the opposite side is correct. The prophet should be the one that's holding the word of God, but the Ninevites are the ones who answer. Jonah should be going as a prophet, but it's the Ninevites that actually receive God and love God. So much so that this thing continues. I would rather die. I would rather die. And we'll get to that in a second. But Ninevite, the Ninevites were doomed. They were told that they were going to be destroyed. And it made Jonah happy. But then they were saved. And it makes no sense to Jonah. But God says, should, in verse 11, should, not, should I not be concerned about that great city? And that's the contrast. Do you have the right to be angry and shouldn't I be concerned? He's, he, what, he's, what he's saying is, is that your concern, your idols that you're holding on to are forfeiting not only grace for you, but grace for other people. Should you not be concerned, Jonah, if I'm concerned about the Ninevites? Our frustrations in this life are sometimes, not always, but they're sometimes coming from a lack of perspective. A concern about something that is not as valuable as what God is doing in our life. We focus on the relief from our problems and God is focusing on how can this 
child of mine learn through the problem itself in order to be stronger next time. Our frustration, our idols, whether that's comfort or relief or or, our control, it comes out of our lack of perspective about what God is doing, what God's concerned about. And what is the most amazing thing as Christians reading this, I think, is that the prophet is saying, I would rather die than do what you told me to do. And yet we see in the life of Christ, and therefore because of Christ in our life, our response should be, God, I am so moved and grateful and aware of the grace that you've given me in my life that I'm willing to die. Do you have any right to be angry with God? No, but we have every right to be eternally grateful for God. Should we not be concerned about the desires of God and release the idols that we hold on to and accept the grace that he's given us? Because the grace that he's given us and the 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 gifts and the blessing and the hope and the future and the salvation that all of these things that have been wrapped up in what God has done with us are infinitely better than the things that we're trying to hold on to that are often temporary. Christ released every right of his as the Son of God, as the second person of the Trinity in eternal glory, This story is amazing because it tells and it it predicts the opposite of what Christ did. The very first sentence in the book of Jonah is that God spoke to Jonah and Jonah ran the opposite direction and yet we see Christ running to us. Even in the midst of our rejection of him, he loves us, he pursues us. Even in the midst of Jonah's rejection of God, God is sending him relief through this plant. And like the worm that kills the plant that Jonah loves so much. The worm, the great serpent, Satan, is destroying the the prized possession of God. And that's humanity by their distraction of idols. We see Christ in this story. So I ask you the question, what's your prophecy? Jonah had a prophecy. As a prophet, he was given a prophecy or a message of God to send to the people. What is it that God's calling you to do? And if you don't know what that is, it's a great opportunity today to think about it. Think about your specific life that's different than anybody else's. What's God asking you to do as a Christian that might be difficult? Maybe you thinking, oh, this is the right thing to do, but I don't want to do it because it might cause me to experience hardship. Or maybe you have an idol that's in your hand that you're not willing to let go of in order for this grace for you or for someone else to come. What's your distraction? What's your idol? It doesn't have to be gold. It doesn't have to be fame. It doesn't have to be fortune or beauty. It could be something as simple as your inconvenience. What's your distraction and what's your Nineveh? What is the thing that maybe you want to see destroyed? What's the thing that maybe you want to see God's judgment for that he's wanting to save through you because you've received God's grace? 
What's your prophecy? What's your distraction or your idol? And who is your Nineveh? And lastly, what's your choice? Jonah's choice was to run. He told the sailors in the first part of the, of the story, I'm running from God because I don't want to do what he wants me to do because what he wants me to do seems unfair to me and I know because of his goodness, he's going to forgive my enemies. What's your choice in that situation? Christ's choice was, I'm going to pursue. I'm going to be willing to die. Because those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that God has for them. Now that doesn't mean as Christians that if we hold on to these idols, God's not going to continue to save us or forgive us. We know that he will forgive us as Christians if we truly trust in Christ. But the idea is that in our Christian life, if we are holding on to idols, even though we might be saved, we're missing out on the grace. We're missing out on the benefits of what Christ has done in our lives, which is joy and peace and hope and compassion and love and faith. Things that the idol will never bring. And what's worse is when we hold on to idols and we lose the perspective like Jonah, we start to, to withhold the grace that God would have for other people, which makes us false prophets or anti-prophets. I encourage you this week, maybe even this afternoon, read through this passage. It'd, it'd take you 15 minutes to read it. But ask your question, what is the message that God has sent me that I'm maybe holding on to for myself that I'm not giving away? What's the distraction that's keeping me from passing this message on or living the way God would want me to do? Who's my enemy? Who's, who, who, who is the, my perceivable problem that, that I'm unwilling to step into and address? And lastly, what's my choice? Am I going to be like Jonah or am I going to be like Christ? I love how this story ends. There's no ending to it. It just ends with a question. God has concern and he says, should I not be concerned? It leaves the story open because we are part of that story now. It's the same way Acts is an ending. There's no end to Acts. The book of Acts. It's the same idea that the story continues in you and me. What's your choice? God's not responsible for your emotions and your, your response. We are. How will you respond today? And if you don't know, he will answer you when you ask. Let's take a moment of quiet reflection for the sole purpose of asking God, what is it? that you're calling me to do and why is it that I may be hesitant to do it? Or simply asking God, please show me. Please show me where I'm blind to my own life. So let's take, let's take some time and then we'll pray. Lord Christ, we thank you for these stories. I thank you, God, that the stories in the Bible aren't just about perfect people who follow you and that are just examples for us to follow, but that they reveal people like us that are full of darkness and distractions 
in a world that's pretty and seems attractive. God, I pray that that we would see that we are like Jonah. Not all the time, maybe, but sometimes. And that our desires for comfort and relief are really revealing our weakness and our pride and disobedience that we're not willing to be like Christ. God, I pray that, that you would change that in our hearts. Not just that we would have the power to do it and, and get it over with, God, but that we would see that that's where true life is. I want that for me. I want, I want to let go of my idols or the things that I care about that I think will bring me hope and joy and peace and really believe that, that serving and loving others like Christ, like you love, will bring me my ultimate fulfillment. It's one thing, God, for me to be convinced that that's what I should do. And it's another thing to be convinced that that will truly bring life. Not just salvation, but eternal life in this life. Unending life. That's my prayer, God. That's my prayer for for my friends here and myself today. Lord, in your mercy. Your prayer. And God, we pray for Vilnius. We pray for our city. We pray that we would be convincing when we speak of the gospel. Not that that people just should do it because that's what they ought to do, because that is truly a source of their peace and their life and their joy and the transformation of their homes, their lives, their families' lives. And who knows, maybe like Nineveh, the city of Vilnius would come to an awareness through just a couple faithful people that are willing to say the truth. I protect my friends, protect, protect this little group of people that we call ICV. God, move in our lives, change our hearts. We cannot have this perspective without the power of the Spirit changing our desires. We pray that you would remove the desires of our idols and transfer them, transfer them to your desire, God, and your mercy. Hear our prayer. And we pray for this world, God. We pray, we pray against violence. We pray against hatred and bitterness, not just in our own hearts, but in, in the lives of other people. People who think that that is the source of their strength, that their aggression is the source of their power, that, that their, their theft is a source of their gain, God. Please change people's hearts. Please bring true justice, but also bring incredible mercy that changes people's perspectives. And of course, God, we got other things going on too, health-wise. God, please move. Please heal. Please bring relief. But we pray, God, that we won't hold on to that relief as an idol, but that we would see it as a, as a gratitude, something to be grateful for from you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let's close our prayer with the prayer that Christ taught us himself, the Lord's Prayer. If you would pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. He is worthy to be praised. And uh, we have so much to be grateful for that he's done for us. And I pray that as we leave this place, we have a greater understanding of his love for us, his forgiveness, his mercy, and, and the things in our life, even though we have negative things going on, that, that we can trust that he's with us. May the Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.